Hey guys, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon today. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Come on, TC, let's get up for everybody that's here for the first time today and new. Man, we love you guys. We're so grateful. So look, my man Jacob's going to come out here and help me out. Come on, Jake. Give it up for Jacob, guys. He's, he's going to help me out for a second. And so um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lift a little bit of weights this morning. Um, and so Jacob's a, he's a personal trainer. He's kind of fit, you know what I'm saying? All right. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lift some weights. And um, because here's what I feel like life feels like sometimes. Anybody feel like you've been lifting a few things lately? Come on. Oh, what's that? What's that, Jacob? Something like that. That's how we count in the gym. You know what I'm saying? All right. But. Now it's Jacob's turn. All right, Jacob, your turn. Don't be messing with these weights, man. You want to start with here? You want to start here? All right, go ahead. See, Jacob. Oh, look at him. Look at him. So, Jacob, he's gonna he's gonna throw up. These are these are ninety five pounds of pop. Oh, look at that! Look at that! Stabilization, right here in the core. I got more here than you do, though. So, <laughs> don't laugh, bro. You're gonna put him down. <laughs> yeah. Hey, come on. I guarantee you this took longer than that did, just for the record. So, but here's, here's the thing about how we've been feeling lately. Maybe you can relate to this. Anybody, can anybody relate to the fact that life has been feeling a little heavy lately? Like how it's kind of, maybe for the last couple of years, you felt like you've just been like pushing as hard as you can, as much as you can, Right? And like you've, you've been trying to give life everything you got, but how many of you guys feel like life has been throwing as much at you as you've been trying to throw at it? Anybody relate? Right? You ready? Okay. <laughs> Let's, Jacob's going gonna to do another set of these 95-pound weights here. Oh, man, look at him. You know what's funny is we have multiple services. Wait till more four services, bro. You can do this four times. Yeah, right. We'll be subbing out. I'm doing odds only. All right. Come on, let's let let's have Jacob here, guys. Guys, yeah. Oh man. So, but here's the thing about lifting, is it kind of looks like it's pretty easy, right? I mean, like it doesn't look too crazy. But here's the question I have for you: Is something not heavy because somebody else makes it look easy to lift? Like in other words, when you look at other people. Maybe you're looking at other people and it's like, oh, man, they're, they're getting through that easy. Like they're getting, well, maybe it's just that they've been through enough things that what they're lifting now doesn't seem as hard as it once did. Because life has a way of conditioning us to do things we couldn't do before. You know what I'm saying? Jacob, how do you feel about them 30s, man? That would be a great switch, wouldn't it? Let's try, let's try these 30s. And so here's the thing about these 30s. They kind of look puny after them 95. I'm not going to lie to you. Let's see how many of those you can do. Brother, I, did, I wasn't working that hard. <laughs> that, oh, oh. All right. Come, oh, any more? Any, any more? I, I feel like you, I, was, that, was that seven? Eight? Eight? Oh, you, you got just, <laughs> yeah, that's how we count in the gym. Good work. No, so, but it, here's a question I have for you. 
about when it comes to this is, do you guys think I could have done nine of those 30s, even though he did eight? You feel like I could do nine of those? Yeah? I feel like I could do 10. I feel like I could do 15. Does that mean I'm stronger than Jacob? (laughs) Or, because here's what I want you to grab a hold of. This is how we've been in life lately. And I really want this to get into your bones for a second, because this is what we're going to talk about today. It's not, for some of you, you feel like you're running out of strength, but the problem isn't that you're running out of strength. The problem isn't that you can't lift what God's or what life has been putting on you lately. The problem is what you've been lifting for the last two years has made what used to be really easy now really hard. And just like Jake, he's, he had no problem throwing up 95s, but you do that long enough. It doesn't matter if I put five pound weights in your hands. At some point, you're going to have to stop because of what you've been lifting is affecting what you're trying to lift now. That makes sense? Give it up for Jacob, guys. So. And so some of us are looking at, listen, I want to, today I want to talk about heaviness. Look at your neighbor and say heaviness. Because here's what heaviness does in our life. Heaviness has a way of convincing us that the problem is that we can't get through life. The problem isn't that we can't get through what we're going through. The problem is we've gotten through so much that now when we're being asked to do something that really looks so simple, it's so hard. And it like, All I'm asking you to do is, like, persevere through the difficulties at work. All God is asking you to do is, like, live a Christian life. All that anyone's asking you to do is, like, be a good husband or or wife or father or mother, a good employee. Just, like, for some of you, finish your degree. Like, just keep going at work. And how many guys know, like, even that list, like, when you say it out loud, it doesn't sound crazy, but when you start trying to do it, you're like, this is really hard. Anybody relate to the last two years? And the reason why isn't because the task is hard. It's because of what you've been asked to lift for the last two years has made what seems very simple now very difficult to do. And today, again, I want to talk about 2 Corinthians 7, or 12, 7 through 8 says it like this. I was given, Paul is talking, said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And how many guys have ever been in that place where you're like, God, I need you to take this thing away from me. Like, can anybody relate to, like, God, I just want to be done with this season. I just want to be done with this thing. I just want to be done with this process. Like, take it away from me. And I love God's response to Paul here because God isn't like, oh, yeah, you've been working pretty hard. Let me take that away from you. What does God say? My grace is sufficient for you. He's not like, you know what? Yeah, it's been pretty difficult lately. Let me get you out of that. He goes, no, 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 I'm going to keep you in it. I'm just going to help you get through it. And how many guys are frustrated like me enough with God to be like, yeah, bro, but I I don't want to get through it. Only seven of us are honest. All right, anybody, like, anybody relate? When you want out, you want out. And God's saying, what if I don't want to get you out? What if I just want to help you get through? My grace is sufficient for you, and this is what I want, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. But we don't necessarily care for that, do we? Is anybody else tired of having to rely on Christ for your own power? First, if, uh, first, Ephesians 1, 17 through 18 says it like this. This is a theme verse for the series that we've been in, this dull life series. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Say wisdom. Say revelation. So I want you to be able to see what God is doing and experience what God is doing so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Did you know that, that when the Bible talks about the eyes of your heart, what it's saying is you, experience, you see things with your mind, but you experience things through your heart. 
And he's saying, I want, you, I want the eyes of your heart. I want the lens that you actually experience life through to be enlightened to the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the order, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And what he has called you to is the riches and glorious inheritance in his holy people, right? So here's the question that I have for you. What do we do when we just feel like the heaviness of life weighs us down? What do we do when we feel like heaviness weighs us down? Turn to your neighbor and say heaviness. Now the person, turn the person you just neglected on the other side of you and say heaviness. All right. So what do we do when we feel like heaviness is weighing us down? And I want to give you, we're going to go back to the story of Esther that we were in last week. And last week we talked about Esther because Esther was the, this woman that God used to save God's people in a time where an ungodly king was ruling. And so God puts her there. So, so to catch you up on the story, if you missed last week, or maybe you just aren't familiar with this story, Esther is an orphan. She moves in with her cousin. Her cousin's name is Mordecai. And so she's an orphan. She moves in with her cousin. And as she's there, King Xerxes starts looking for a new queen. And so they bring in all the beautiful young women from the land. She is one of them, right? And as she gets brought to the land, Mordecai, her cousin, says, don't tell them you're Jewish. Don't tell them about your heritage. And she goes, okay, I won't. And she goes there, and as she's there, she gets placed as queen with King Xerxes. So now she's queen. But in the process of doing that, Mordecai, her cousin, cares so much about her that every day he's going to the gate of the kingdom, and he's just sitting outside the gate hoping that he's going to see her walk by, hoping to be able to speak to her. And so day after day, week after week, month after month, he keeps going to the gate so that he can talk to Esther. And as he's there, a number of things start to unfold. And that's what I, I want to give you to uh, give you today. Because what we see happening in Mordecai's life is this crazy amount of heaviness as he endures doing the right thing. Say right thing. And this is what's so interesting about Mordecai's story. Because he does the right thing over and over, yet doesn't seem to get relief from the things plaguing him over and over. Can anybody relate with that? It's like, man, I feel like I'm doing the right thing, but it doesn't feel like I'm getting to the right place. I feel like I'm doing the right thing, but I don't feel like God is rewarding me in the right way. Right? And that's kind of where we see Mordecai at. And so I want to give you three areas that grief shows up, but I want to give you three solutions or one solution to each area. Right? And so Malachi is sitting outside. Mordecai, sorry. Mordecai, that would have really messed you up. Mordecai is sitting outside the gate, and he's sitting out there. He's waiting on Esther to walk by one day, and as she's getting ready to walk by, he hears two guards plotting to kill King Xerxes. And this is the place he's in for a second because he's like, should I do something about this or not? Keep in mind, King Xerxes rules the land, but because of Mordecai's heritage, his Jewish heritage, King Xerxes isn't his king. King Xerxes just rules the land. And so he's like, do I do something about this or just kind of let it ride? You know, any of y'all ever been at work and you walked in on something like that you didn't need to be a part of? You're like, what's going to, ooh, nope, I'm not doing that. Right? Like, you didn't tell anybody about it. You're like, that's none of my business. Okay, so like, Mordecai, he overhears this. And so he eventually, he tells Esther, he says, Esther, you got to tell the king these two men are going to try to kill him. And so Esther goes and tells the king. And, and, and in the midst of doing this, Esther tells the king, tells the king that Mordecai is the one that found out about it. And guess what the king does for Mordecai? Nothing. And that brings me to stage one of heaviness, because stage one of heaviness is the heaviness that's in the confusion of life. Anybody ever been confused before? Like, not confused like you didn't know the math problem because they switched to Common Core. I'm talking like confused, like, I'm talking confused like 
God, what is going on right now? Anybody, have you ever been confused because you're at that stage, like, feeling like God isn't watching you? You feel like he isn't looking out for you? He, uh, and oftentimes, if you're honest, you kind of come to the place where you're like, either God doesn't care about me or he wants bad things to happen to me. Either he's not paying attention to me at all or he is paying attention and he just doesn't care. And this is kind of where I can understand Mordecai is at in this place because it's in the confusion of life that heaviness can set into our hearts, isn't it? When we don't understand what God is doing, isn't it so easy to let life get heavy on our hearts? And so he's there, but here's the thing that I want you to grab a hold of. Esther 2.22 tells us what's happening, but Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. So we see Mordecai did the right thing, and here's what I want you to grab a hold of in your notes. God is keeping a record even when it feels like nobody else is. God is keeping a record even when it feels like nobody else is. And so Mordecai's at this place where he's, Dealing with confusion, that's why 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is so important. It says this, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Like, stand firm. Let nothing move you, right? Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor, you know that what you're doing, you know that the work, you know that as you're trying to maintain good character, you know that you're trying to do the right thing, as you know that as you're serving on the dream team, as you know that you're in groups, as you know that you're making the decisions that are helping build you or your family, as you know you're doing the work, listen to me, your labor's not in vain. It's not pointless. God is going to lead you to something as you continue to go to him, right? And so he goes and shortly after, this man named Haman is placed in authority, say Haman, so he's placed in authority, and he goes out. So Haman is given this position. So Mordecai does the right thing. Haman gets a, a, a new position. And so Haman's walking out of the king's estate. And as he's walking out of the king's estate, he walks past Mordecai and all the people, and everyone bows to Haman because he's got this new position. Guess who doesn't bow? Mordecai. He's like, nah, man. That's not exactly how it's read in the text, but like, that's how I, like, nah, bro. So... He looks at him, he's not bowing, and Haman gets furious. He gets so angry that he wants to kill Mordecai. As a matter of fact, he goes, you know what, I'm not going to just kill you, I'm going to kill all your people. And so he puts a death threat out against Haman's people. This is all in Esther, and I'm, I'm moving through the story for you so that we don't have to read seven chapters of Esther, okay? So he goes in, he decides to have all of Mordecai's people killed. He convinces King Xerxes to give the kill order, and so King Xerxes does under Haman's recommendation. Mordecai finds out, tells Esther, and goes and tells Esther, you've got to tell the king to save us. And as we looked at last week, Esther's like, I don't know if I can do that. And he was like, you've got to. Perhaps God put you here just for this. And so Esther invites Haman and King Xerxes to a banquet, right? Keep in mind, none of them know she's Jewish. So that Haman doesn't know that she's Jewish. King Xerxes doesn't know that she's Jewish. And they just put out a kill order on all the Jewish people. And so she's queen at this point. And so Esther invites Haman and King Xerxes to a banquet. And when Haman finds out he's invited to the banquet, he thinks he's arrived. He's like, yeah, boy. I'm going to the banquet with the queen, right? But he's, 
he's pumped. Like if your CEO invited you to lunch, like we made it, we made it. It's like, brother, you, yeah, no, you're, you're getting a $100 bonus gift card to Chili's. All right, calm down. So, but he's pumped. He's like, yo, we're out here, right? And so, uh, and we go to Esther 5, 9, and 10. And this is where we pick up in the story. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. He's like, yeah, boy, we out here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, and he's, so he's going out high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor feared in his presence, he filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and he goes home, and he goes home, and he starts hanging out with his wife and his boys, right? And so he's hanging out with, like, his friends. So he's, he's with his wife, he's with his friends. He's like, yo, this Mordecai guy is upsetting me. Like, I'm so frustrated. And his wife and his friends are like, why don't you build a 50-cubit pole in the front yard and impale him on it? Like, that escalated quickly, right? And, sh- like, my, when I'm reading this, this, bro, there is stuff in this. This is the Jerry Springer of Bible books. Esther is crazy. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm reading this, and then, like, nobody in that group was like, wait a second, fellas. Like, a 75-foot pole in the front yard just to kill one guy? Like, nobody was like, perhaps we should come up with a better idea. No, everyone's on board. So, which tells me he needs better friends. So, anyways. So his wife, his friends come up with this plan. They're like, yo, let's kill him. We'll put him on like 50 cubit pole, 75 foot, six story building is the size of this pole in his front yard. And it's like, we'll kill him on it. He's like, that's a great idea. Because again, no one with common sense is in the room. Which brings me to stage number two of heaviness. And that's that heaviness is also in the waiting. Heaviness is in the confusion when we don't know what's going on, but then heaviness is also in the waiting when we know that God is on our side, but we feel like God is delaying whatever he's supposed to be doing for us. Like, God, I know that you see me. I'm believing you're coming through, but I don't know when you're going to do this. And can anybody relate to the waiting period being most the one that's the most frustrating? And so he's going through the waiting, and the waiting is so fatiguing because I know God can do something, I'm believing that he's going to do something, but I don't actually see him doing anything. I'm trusting that God is looking out for me. And I remember being in this season of life where I, I told God on my back porch one day, angry. I said, God, I trust you. I just don't trust your plan. And in the waiting season, man, that's so frustrating. So he finds himself in the waiting, and this is what I want to encourage you with right now is that when you're experiencing the heaviness and the waiting, is that God is moving even when you can't see it. God is moving even when you can't see it, right? That night, King Xerxes wants to go to sleep, but he can't sleep. He's just having a hard time falling asleep, so he calls one of his guards to come read him a nighttime story. It's in the book. So, but the nighttime story is just the records from the city. So he's like, yeah, on Tuesday, someone stole an apple and we cut off his hand. Like, this is what's like. So, and so they're reading the record book and he gets to the point, he gets to the part where Mordecai saved his life. And the guy reading the record book is like, yeah, these two guys were plotting to kill you. Mordecai brought it to your attention. And the king stops and he goes like, wait a second. In Esther chapter six, verse three, he says, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? This is all in the Bible. I'm telling you. Some crazy stuff in this book. Y'all got to read it, okay? So 
What has he received for this? And the king asked, nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. And isn't that a frustrating place where it's like you did the right thing? You know that you've tried to act with godly character. You tried to make the right decision on your job, in your degree, in your family. You're trying to like, you've tried to do the right thing. And it's frustrating because we feel like we're in the waiting and the confusion because we know we're doing all the right things. But even while we're doing the right things, it doesn't feel like God's doing his part. And so that's why Galatians 6, 9 says it like this. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, say proper time, we will reach, reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so Haman is brought before the king. So King Xerxes is like, man, we need to do something for Mordecai. So he, he brings in Haman. King Xerxes brings in Haman. This is incredible. He says, Haman, come in here. I want to ask you something. And Haman's like, let's do it. So he walks in because Haman thinks he's the man of the hour, right? And the king is like, what should we do for someone that we want to honor? And Haman naturally thinks, that who is he talking about? Himself, because he's a narcissist. So he's, like, so he's like, yeah, absolutely. And King's like, what should we do to honor someone? And Haman's like, you should get out your best robe, put it on him, put him on a, one of the king's horses, have someone parade him through town, declaring that this is the king's favored man for today. And the king is like, that's perfect. Which brings me to number three. Because heaviness isn't just in the confusion, it's not just in the waiting. How many guys know heaviness is also in the hurting? Has anyone ever been through seasons of life where the hurting was so bad? The pain was so significant? You felt like you were emotionally bleeding out of every part of your body. The, the chaos was hurting so bad and all of that was just weighing you down. And I want you to think about this for a second because we're reading what's happening behind closed doors, but Mordecai isn't. Mordecai is, all he knows is Haman's going to kill all of us if God doesn't do something about it. That's all he knows. So everything that's happening behind the scenes with King Xerxes and Haman and all this stuff, he doesn't know about it right now. And so from Haman's perspective, he's confused, he's waiting, and now he's hurting because the death threat has gone out. And as far as he knows, they're all about to die unless God does something. And maybe it's in the hurting that you find yourselves. And this is where I want you to grab a hold of because it's always the area where we give up that God wants to show up. And this is what I want you to put in your notes because this is so important that God will use the things that were meant to devastate you to elevate you. Like God will use the areas that was meant to just tear you down. God will use whatever the enemy was trying to destroy you with, whatever the enemy was trying to wreck you with, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, whether it's your career, whether it's your degree, maybe it's your friendships, maybe it's connections, maybe it's your depression and your anxiety, whatever it is that the enemy was going to use to devastate you, God will use that very same thing to elevate you to a place where he shows you and the rest of the world. See, even when the world gives up hope, I can do something great with this. And hear me, it's always important to have favor from God more than it is to have favor from anybody else. And so God will use the things that were meant to devastate you to elevate you. So Haman goes in and he tells King Xerxes, this is what you should do. This is what we should do. This is how you should honor, essentially saying, this is how you should honor me, which is just wild. But Haman's like, this is how you should honor me. And King Xerxes is like, that's perfect. And that's where we pick up chapter 6, verse 10. This is what he says. Go at once, the king commanded. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested. For Mordecai, could you imagine? Haman's like, word? Huh? Right? Do it for Mordecai, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect 
anything you have commanded, right? And this is wild, bro, because now guess what Haman has to do? Put the robe on Mordecai, put Mordecai on the horse, and then Mordecai has to go through the whole town with Haman walking with the horse, being like, this is the king's favorite man. There's some stuff in this book. Y'all got to read it. And so he's walking through, and I could imagine because my boy, if, if Haman's boys were anything like my boys, he would have got roasted after that. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I saw you with your boy, thought you was going to kill him, but now you got to honor him. Like, so he, he's walking with him. And so what happens? He gets to that place where he's going through the city declaring that this is God's favorite man. And this is what I want you to grab a hold of because this is so true. And this is what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Whatever you're going through, whatever the heaviness is setting in, even when it's hurting, I'm going to tell you that you may be pressed on every side, crushed. You may be in despair. Or you may be persecuted. You may be struck down. You may even be perplexed. But listen to me. God hasn't forgot about you yet. And the very place that God was going to move in your life is the very place you thought you were going to fall apart in your life. So Haman marches Mordecai around the city as the man of honor, and then Haman runs home in grief. Could you imagine walking through the front door of that? Like some of us don't want to like walk through the front door when we pay too much for oil change, you know what I'm saying? Like, so he, Haman walks through, and his wife is like, well. And he's like, listen, honey, I don't even want to talk about this today. Right? And he's, she's like, that was awkward. He's like, tell me about it. And you know his boys showed up. Ha! I saw you walking Haman around the city, man. And no sooner than he walks through the door, King Xerxes' guards show up. They say, Haman, it's time for you to go to the banquet with the queen. So he doesn't even get a chance to register all of what's happening. And he walked, so he goes with the guards. He walks through the banquet door. And at least he's getting a moment of relief. Anybody had a stressful day and you're like, well, at least I'm going to eat good food tonight? That's where Haman's at at this point. Been a little stressful, but I'm going to the banquet with the queen and the king. So he walks through the door. King Xerxes is there. They start eating. They start drinking, right? And Esther says, hey, I've got a question. And King Xerxes says, what is that? Anything you want. She said, I need a favor. King Xerxes says, anything you want. Up to half the kingdom, you can have it. And she said, yeah, so... Could you guys not kill my people? <laughs> and King Xerxes is like, what are you talking about? And she says, well, um, you allowed one of your men to convince you to put out a kill order on all of my people. And King Xerxes is like, who in the world would do something like that? And bro, I can see Haman right now. <laughs> right? there's only three people in the room, dog. Like, you know, like, who are you, you going to hide behind? So Haman's like, mm. and Esther's like, this adversary, Haman. King Xerxes says, what? And he's filled with rage. And he comes back into, he steps out, he comes back in the room. And he looks at Haman. And he ultimately makes a decision. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And then he reflects, how should I kill him? And one of the guards speaks up and says, he's got a 50 cubit pole in front of his house. I'm not, bro, this is all in this book, I'm telling you. 
He's like, there's a 50 cubit pole in his house. And the king's like, perfect, put him on it, kill him. And the very thing that was meant to kill Mordecai, listen to me, God allowed it to kill his enemy. Because it's the place that the enemy wanted to devastate you that God will let you shine, man. And I know you feel like your marriage might be over. I know you feel like your business might be done. I know you feel like you've just been going through too much. Your kids lost their mind. COVID's going buck wild. No one knows what's going on in the world anymore. Listen to me, it's not over yet. Because our God's still on the throne. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care, like, Democrat or Republican. I don't care who's like in the governor's chair. I don't care about none of that because our God's still on the throne. And so whatever it is you're putting your hope in, if it's not Jesus, it's going to fail you. But our God is on the throne. So Mordecai, all the way until the moment he gets honored, thinks it's over. All the way until the moment he gets put, a robe gets thrown on him, he gets put on a horse. He thinks it's over because it looked that way. And here's the thing that we struggle with, right? Because it's not just that our circumstances make us feel that way, but life can make us feel that way. And, and I know some of you may, like you may be out there and you're like, Brad, you just don't know how, you don't know what I'm going through right now. They're like, life just seems too hard. Listen to me, I get it. Because you don't know what anybody's, you can look around this room, none of us know what each other's going through. All of us have experienced heaviness. I remember going through the most difficult thing in my life when my son passed away in, in 2018. He was five years old. In the last three years of his life, he was connected to a, a heart monitor. There was also an oxygen monitor. And every time he would have a heart rate spike um, or his oxygen would get too low, the alarm would go off. And, and what my wife didn't know and most of my family didn't know is, is in that season, I actually developed severe panic attacks and my heart rate would sit somewhere between 135 and 150 for about an hour and a half after he would have a seizure or whatever and and we were I was so concentrated on making sure that he was okay that I didn't want to bother with anyone else about making sure I was okay I got diagnosed with PTSD six months after he passed because those panic attacks didn't stop matter of fact we put in a new air conditioner at our house and Every time the air conditioning would kick on, it would kick on with this little hum for about 10 seconds that was the exact same frequency as his heart monitor was. So even after he passed, I would get yanked out of a dead sleep to that air conditioner kicking on, thinking I was right back where I was at before. And it, and it, it became devastating to me. And I got to a point in my life where I was like, I, don't, I, I, I can't keep going like this. Here I am preaching to God's people leading people to follow God. And I myself am like struggling in my own personal heaviness. And I remember, I remember I was riding with somebody through Central Florida, this amazing pastor that I know. He's incredible. It's actually my dad, he's right over there. Uh, and so I remember we were riding through Central Florida and we, as we were riding through Central Florida, we, he, he grew up on the orange groves down in like Lakeland area. And so there was oranges and grapefruits and, 
And they would go out and, and when he was a kid, he would go pick oranges and grapefruits from the tree. And so I remember him telling me about how they would go out and pick oranges and grapefruits from the tree. And, and he said, when you would first walk over to the tree, the branch would be really low and you would just start grabbing oranges and grapefruits off and putting them in a basket. And he said, as you would keep pulling them off the branch, the branch would get higher and higher because you were taking the weight of the fruit off, right? He said, eventually you gotta go get a ladder out and put a ladder up and you gotta climb the ladder and you gotta keep pulling fruit off. And he said, as you would take more and more fruit off, the branch would get higher and higher off the ground. And one of the things that he was great about is teaching you leadership lessons when you didn't know you were getting a leadership lesson. You know what I mean? So like, and so he, he was, he's talking to me and he's like, yeah, so we would take all the fruit on like, Oh yeah, that's crazy. And he said, yeah, he said, so don't ever get shocked when you always, you feel like you're low to the ground because it's the branch that's lowest to the ground that bears the most fruit. I said, huh? And so I, he was talking to me and, and I remember I, I looked to him and I said, I, I said, does it ever get easier though? Like, do I, what about the branch that's like the pretty branch that you can see from far away above the trees? Like, man, look at those branches. I wanna be like those branches. The branches that are standing tall, branches that are really high. Does it ever get to the point where you don't feel like things are just wearing you down? And he said, you could be like one of the tall, pretty branches, but remember the tall, pretty branches don't bear fruit. And I went, huh. And this is what he taught me that day. Don't be afraid to let the very thing that's causing you to be low to the ground, to be the very thing that keeps you at the feet of Jesus. Because no one comes to the cross standing tall. We all come to Jesus low to the ground. And maybe the very thing that's in your life right now that's made you feel a little low, that's made you feel a little heavy, that's brought you down just a little bit is the very thing that Jesus is gonna use to keep you right where you need to be, which is right here at the feet of Christ. Because none of us walk to Jesus with our chest puffed out. Let's be honest. We're all, we've all got a little bit too much honor in us. We've all lack a little bit of humility and we all wanna come to Jesus standing up. But Jesus says, come bow at my feet. And it's always the branch that bears the most fruit that's lowest to the ground. Ezra Taft Benson says, he who kneels before God can stand before any man. And so just like with Jacob lifting the weights, it's not that you can't lift what you're going through right now. It's that you've lifted so much till you got to right now that you feel like you can't do anymore. But I'm here to tell you, not only can you do what God is asking you to do, he'll give you the grace to go through what he's asking you to go through. I wanna go back to 2 Corinthians 12 that we read earlier, where God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I wanna read that verse again, but I want you to see what he said, what Paul says at the end, 2 Corinthians 12, nine through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So this is what he says. Paul says, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, when I feel like I can't go anymore, when I feel like I can't persevere, when I feel like I'm at the end of my rope, when I feel like I've got nothing left, listen to me, that's when I'm really the strongest. 
that's when God's strength takes over, when my weakness runs out. When I feel like I can't do anymore, that's when God takes over. When I feel like I gotta let go, that's when God takes over. When I feel like I've gotta put everything down, that's when God takes over. And so, listen to me, you can try to be strong as you wanna be strong, but there's a moment where you gotta let God take over and say, all right, this may be my weak point, but this is when God gets to have his strong point. And God will be recognized in my life, listen to me, not because you are great, but because you let God be great through you. And so we let go and we let God because God's strength is made perfect, listen to me, in your heaviness and in your weakness. He's got you. So let's look to him to be everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. So God, I pray for every person right now who is navigating the season of heaviness, navigating this season of difficulty, of pain, of struggle. God, I pray right now for every person who is dealing with, Father, the the difficulties of, of what life is bringing, those that may be in seasons of confusion, those that may be in seasons of waiting, those that may be in seasons of hurting, God, Lord, that you would lead them to say, God, I need your strength to be perfect when I'm running out of strength. I need you to be good when I'm running out of good. I need you to carry me when I feel like I can't walk anymore. And God, as we look to you for your strength, God, to be made perfect in the weakest areas of our life, where we've given up hope, where we've said, I don't think you can do anymore, God, I pray that our confidence would be increased, that you, God, are leading us and you've got us. And so, God, I pray that hope would arise in places of discouragement, God, where a dull veneer has covered our perspective of what you can do in our businesses and our marriages and our degrees and our families. God, I pray that you, God, would move in a powerful way for us to see that, God, if you haven't said it's over, then it's not over yet. That we would have great confidence in you. We thank you today. We love you. In Jesus' name, if you're here today with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if if you need Jesus in your life, You need to be close to Jesus, but you know you've got some things in your life that are keeping you away from Jesus. And today you're ready for him to give you a clean slate, a new beginning. The Bible says that we come to Jesus and we put our faith in him, that we believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, that we can be saved. And the very things that are keeping you from God is the very things that Jesus died for. And today, if you just need to say, Jesus, I believe in you so that your sins can be removed and that you can stand before God, then today I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me and the whole church will pray with you so you're not praying by yourself. So let's pray today. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again. So I give you my life. Make me brand new. Give me a fresh start and I'll follow you forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that prayed that today and we celebrate with you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. If you want to connect with us on Instagram or Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. More information about our church or to contact us, feel free to go to mytc.life. MyTC.life is also where you can partner with us financially, and we would love it if you would consider doing just that, as your financial support is a key factor in helping our content channels grow. So I want to invite you to join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are 
to who God wants them to be. I pray you have a blessed day.